Amen. Boy, that was so fun to watch you all just chatting it up. I'm telling you what, we just did not want to stop. You guys did not want to stop, and I like that. I absolutely like that. So we are going to dive right into the book of Romans. So I, I'll want you to, I want you all to pull out your Bibles and any note-taking equipment that you might have, whether it be electronics or a piece of paper and pen. But we are going to have some fun today for the rest of our time. And we're going to hear from the Word here, and I'm going to hopefully move your heart with the power of the Holy Spirit into some amazing things in the book of Romans. Amen? So a couple of, um, we're going to do Romans for the next five weeks, so this week and then the next coming weeks, so, uh, which is just going to be a lot, a lot, a lot of fun. So, and I get to do it, and so I got to uh, make a few little fun things out of this, and so I have some challenges. First of all, I want you to let let you know that we're going to do, so the sermons on Sunday for the next five weeks are going to be on Romans, so I want to encourage every single one of you to read the book of Romans during this time frame. And uh, if, if I could ask so much of you to ask you to read the book of Romans each week. Now, it's only 16 chapters, and I've gotten it down to, I can't tell you how many times I've read it, but uh, I've gotten it down to being able to read it within just a couple of hours. So if you could do that over the week, just sit down and read the book of Romans start to finish this week, then it will make a lot of sense as to what I read and taught today and then what we're going to hit over the next couple of weeks. So that is my challenge to you. That's challenge number one. Challenge number one. Read the book of Romans over the next, and I would like to see you do it over each week, but if you can't, let's get through it during, you know, over the weeks that we're doing this. So everybody into reading the book of Romans? All right, all right, all right. Now I have another challenge for you, and this is for those really high achievers. Any high achiever, competitive people in the house? I know you're out there. I know you're out there. Okay, so if you will, the first person, and and I was going to have my little crisp $100 bill here today, and I don't, unfortunately. So I have a crisp $100 bill, $100, that I am going to give to, listen to the silence in the room. You're all like, I could use 100 bucks, right? $100 bill to the first person that will memorize Romans 8 for me. You're all like, hmm, look at it, it's 39 verses long, 100 bucks. You're going to do it, Sophia's going to do it. So you have to beat Sophia. The first person to memorize Romans 8 and get to me. So if you, if you memorize it by tonight, text me and say, I got it. I don't care. Do I care? I do care. I don't care. Yeah, pick the shortest one. (laughs) So memorize. So if you get it, you can text me. You can Facebook me. You can call me and say, you know, I got it. I got it. And then I'll listen to it. And uh, then then I have a couple of second and third place prizes. So, um, but first place prize is $100 to the first person to memorize and to be able to quote it to me. Romans 8. All right? You got the second challenge? 
And then the third thing that I wanted to say before I get started here is that, so I'm going to be preaching on Romans on Sunday morning, and unfortunately, Sunday mornings get small, you know, they're a little short little period of time, and the book of Romans is about the deepest thing on the planet. Okay, so for me to be able to get Romans into your head in five little tiny sermons, it's going to be a miracle. Everybody say miracle. It's going to be a miracle of the Lord Jesus Christ working through me. Okay, so let's just pray for the, for the sister here that has to do that. But um, what I'm going to be doing, though, also in between on Wednesday nights is I'm going to be having a Bible study here on Romans going deeper. Okay, so for today, I have about eight pages of notes, and I am not going to get through them, and they are amazing. And I'm weeping inside that I can't give it all to you. It's going to be the hardest thing to keep from just, you know, giving it all to you. But what I'm going to do is on Wednesday night, if you will come back, I will give you all the deep little fun little nuances and nuggets that I can't give to you today. So every Wednesday night after each Roman sermon, there will be a in, more in-depth, kind of more, more um, shall we say, whipped cream and cherry on the top type stuff, you know, that, that really, you know, the meatier stuff. To, I don't know, the whole, the whole shebang. I'll give you more, okay, if you come back on Wednesday. Uh, 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock here. 7 o'clock here, and there is, um, I'm not sure what room, so just look for me. You can't miss me. I'm kind of the loud thing that is running around. Uh, but there is childcare too. So that's Wednesday nights starting this coming Wednesday. And let's do it. All right? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord God, I pray right now your grace and your mercy and your wisdom, Lord God, to bring this book out and to just bring depth and life to a very, very, very important book to our Christianity. And Lord God, I just ask you right now for your Holy Spirit to descend into this room. Lord God, help my hearers to hear well, oh Father God. And, and Lord Jesus, I just ask you right now that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in the next few minutes in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you got your Bibles open to Romans? Okay, the other fun thing is I'm going to be doing some stuff here with the slides, so if it messes up, it's all my fault. We won't, I can't yell at the, the projection person because it's all right here, and, and it's me. So pray. I should have prayed again. Okay. So, Romans, the book of Romans. Have you ever tried to comprehend God? All the time you're trying to comprehend God. It is, it is not an easy thing. Everybody say it is not easy to comprehend God. And this is normal because God is incredibly infinite. He is bigger than the universe. In fact, the universe that you look at out there that is so mind-boggling and big, that's his little, that was his uh, Monday through Friday project. One week. And he is so infinite and so huge and so amazing and so just mind-blowing. And you have a little tiny brain. It's about this big. About right here, right? And so you're trying to cram the God of the universe into your little tiny brain. And it's really kind of a challenge, wouldn't you say? And I like to uh, put it this way, that trying to get God into our brains, try to comprehend him, try to wrap our mind around him is a little bit like trying to stuff Mount Rainier into a pillowcase. It's a challenge. Let's just say it. And um, a lot of times, what we're able to get in our brain, so think of Mount Rainier in the pillowcase, what you're able to shove into that pillowcase is not always the complete representation of Mount Rainier, right? 
Because you get a few rocks and, you know, a, a tree branch and stuff in there. And, and, and it, you say, this is Mount Rainier. When in reality, there's so much more. But it is true that this is Mount Rainier, right? But a portion of. So always keep in mind that as we are going along this Christian walk, and as we're learning things, and as we're, you know, taking in and understanding God, that we are doing the very best we can to put an infinite God into a few words and into our, into our mind. Now, Romans, the book of Romans, so that's God. The book of Romans, I wouldn't li liken the book of Romans to Mount Rainier, but I would liken it to, like, maybe Mount Si or, you know, some of the foothills coming up to Mount Rainier because the book of Romans is actually one of the most uh, significant books in Christianity. And those 16 chapters have inside of them the absolute foundational basis of what you believe in. And the reason that you're sitting in your chair today is because God exists, he sent his son Jesus, and he's done all sorts of amazing things, and he wants to connect with you, and he dropped so much understanding about himself into Paul, and Paul wrote the book of Romans. So that's what we're going to dive into. We're going to get to know God a little bit better and understand him a little bit better. Have you ever been misunderstood? I have been misunderstood so many times. I tell my husband, honey, I need you to go to the store, and I need you to get a gallon of milk. Will you do that? Yep, yep. So he, he drives to the store and he comes home with a gallon of ice cream. I was thoroughly misunderstood. Or, yeah, it's dairy. I'm just teasing. Uh, but, you know, even my kids, they, they misunderstand me. People misunderstand me. I walk in and, and I, you know, I was at um, a conference the other day and I, I, I came in and I was a little bit flustered because a lot of things had happened and I, I kind of turned around and looked around and, and later, you know, I wasn't thinking much. I was just kind of, you know, I, I, I was intense. Okay, I, I get it. I get it. I was a little bit intense just because a lot of things had happened, right? But then later a lady said, how come you were so angry? I'm like, I wasn't angry. No, you were like ticked off at me and you looked around over your shoulder and you looked at me and you were so mad. And I'm like, I wasn't mad. I was totally misunderstood. Do you ever, do you know what I'm talking about? Well, I believe very strongly that God is one of the most misunderstood beings ever. And I hope that over the next few weeks that we can continue to bring better and better and better understanding to him. Amen? So, God, what is he like? Is he accessible? Is he mean? Is he knowable? Is he distant? Is he close? Is he caring? Is he disinterested? Is he too busy? Is he strong? Is he weak? Is he subjective? What is God like? And I would venture to say that even throughout the day, you begin to wonder what God is like. You get up in the morning and, he, and he's, a, he's a nice, cozy, fuzzy, warm friend that you talk to. And Lord Jesus, I love you. And wow, I'm waking up. And, and then you're driving along and then all of a sudden you can't find a parking spot. And then you're like, God, where are you? 
Are you close and, you know, caring about me? Or don't you even care? You know, do you understand what happens even throughout the day of our misunderstanding of who God is? So what is God like? Islam teaches that God is so holy that he's, and he's so distant and he's very unreachable. When we were in uh, Uganda the other uh, couple weeks ago, I was preaching to this group of people that was getting ready to go through our medical clinic. And uh, the faces of, of everyone was just like, you know, and I was teaching them about how God loves them and cares about them and sees them and wants to be a part of their life and wants to hear from them and wants to connect and that God cares. And there was one woman in a burqa, a full-on burqa, Sitting there, this is out in the middle of nowhere in Uganda. I don't know where she got all that fabric to make that thing, but she got it. And she was wearing it, and she was just staring at me like it just didn't even compute. Her version of God did not fit what I was describing. And I just kept going on and on and staring at her, hoping that I was getting through, you know. <laughs> but uh, I hope that, and pray that my words were seeds into her heart. But, so that's what Islam teaches. And Buddhism and Hinduism, different ones, you know, they teach that God is diffuse. God is truth. You have to search for truth all the time. And, and you'll never find it. You know, what is, what is God truly like? Well, Christianity has a very unique relationship with God. And that is that we believe that you can know God. You might not ever fully be able to cram him into this, but you can know him. And the first thing that I want to really bring forth before we really get into the book of Romans is a very strong concept that you have to really have cemented in your heart so that when you read the book of Romans, it is overlaid upon this foundation. And it is the foundation that God is love. Write it down on your piece of paper. Type it into your notes. At the very, very top, and I'm going to do my very first, let's see if it works. Whoopsie, I was supposed to go there. Here we go. Love. God is love. God is love. 1 John 4, 16 tells us straight up, it's a three-word verse that says, God is love. Bam, bam. That's, that's it. So if you want to know God, we got to know love. And love is a very interesting thing because we all have a viewpoint of what love is supposed to be like. So if God is love and we were made in God's image, therefore we are familiar with love. We are familiar. We kind of get an idea of what love is. But our love, human love, at best, uh-oh, there we go. Human love, at best, is imperfect. The Webster's Dictionary of, of love is that, that love is an intense affection based on familial personal ties or kinship. So already we find out two things about human love. It's an intense affection or feeling and it's based on something. It's based on knowing a person or, or having ties with them. So in other words, human love is a feeling that has conditions. Human love is a feeling that has conditions. A feeling is something that comes and goes, changes. It kind of can wax and wane with what's going on. Human love is a feeling that's based on conditions. 
Human love is a feeling based on what is going on in the situation. And even in our most strongest relationships that we have, the deepest connections that we would have, and I would liken that human connection with my husband or with my children, both of them, but first of all with my husband. And I can relate because I have a tendency to love him really good when he's being really nice. But when he's not being very nice, can anyone relate? Help me here. Just a few of you. So that no matter how hard I try to love well, it is always based on a condition. It's based on how it's going. So hard. So when we look at God... And we hear that God is love. We are going to immediately filter that through those two things. Number one, it's a feeling. So he has this feeling. But what if the feeling goes away? I don't know. You know, where is he at today? I don't know. So to us, we see him like us. And, and we also see him, and when we hear that he loves us, we think, yeah, well, he'll, he'll only love me if I'm the best. He'll only love me on my perfect days. He'll only love me when I'm, you know, but when I'm bad, he's not going to love me so well. He's going to be wondering about it. He's going to, see how we see God? See how we see it? But I am here to tell you that that is not the case. For God's love is perfect love. It also says in 1 John 4, not only is God, that God is love, but that God's love is perfect and that it will remove every shred of fear in you. God's love is perfect. It's very different than human love. Our love is imperfect. His is perfect. We cannot look at God and judge him through our filter of what love is. We have to somehow... Take our filter away and learn something brand new about love. And that is that his love is not based on feelings. His love is a fact. His love is just fact. I love you. And it's not based on a single condition. He loves you before you did anything. He loves you. And no matter what you do, he's always going to love you. Always. Just take a minute right now and let your mind kind of wrap around that. You don't have to do anything to be loved. You don't have to act a certain way, speak a certain way, look a certain way, do a certain thing. God loves you. It is a fact. And it's so hard for us to see God through that. So whenever we do something, then we run away from God. We think we've, you know what I mean? So he's like, love, love. And we're over here just, oh, you don't love me. Love. How can you love me like this? I'm going to go live my own life because you don't love me. Love. Okay. So let's talk about God's love. And I have to hurry up and get to Romans because I only have a few more minutes. Lord of mercy. <sighs> God's love. It's called agape. And the best way to describe or define agape love, and it's very hard to describe and define it because we only can define it by God because God is the only one that lives in agape love, true. So he is the definition of it. So we have to look at what he does and how he reacts and what he does to truly understand what agape love is. See, some of you are sitting here thinking, how can he? 
You have no idea what I've done. I gotta be better. God just wants to wash you with his love. Love, God's love is a love that is completely, completely, everybody write down completely, completely, completely. That means completely. Uh, completely unconditional, sacrificial, and unfailing. Sacrificial, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. He sacrificed, he gives. Uh, he also says in John 15, 3, the greater love hath no man that he lay down his life for a, for a friend. No, a, a human, human love, human, imperfect love says that if it's worth it, I'll, I'll maybe do something for you. If it's convenient. No, God says, no, listen, I'm going to die for you. It wasn't inconvenient. I mean, it wasn't convenient. It was very inconvenient. <laughs> Secondly, he's unconditional. Romans 5.8. While you were yet a sinner, in your deepest, darkest, most evil place, God looked at you and said, I love you. And here is my son who I'm going to nailed to a tree and his blood is going to drip down and that blood is going to be something that can bring you and me together again. And I'm going to do that for you because I love you so much. And you are, when you were in your deepest, darkest, blackest, worstest place, no makeup on, hair a mess, that's when God chose to die for you. Unconditional. And it's unfailing. Psalm 36, 5 through 7, speaks of his great and unfailing love. If you look through the Old Testament, in Genesis, he's the creator, covenant, lover, God of his people. Exodus 34, 6, he is compassionate God. Leviticus 19, 18, he does not hold a grudge. In Ruth, we find that he's the kinsman, redeeming lover of our souls that will take us in our brokenness and our, our, our lack and our poverty and he will marry himself to us and give us all that he is and we exchange all that we are for him, which is very little. In Chronicles 16.13, his love endures forever. Psalm 6.4, his love is unfailing love. In Proverbs and in Ecclesiastes, his love comes in the form of wisdom. In Song of Solomon, his love is a jealous love. He looks at you and he wants all of you. He doesn't want to share you. Not a shred of you. He wants your very best. Isaiah, the mountains shake and the hills will be removed, but my unfailing love will never be shaken with you. Lamentations 3.22, his love is great. Hosea 31, he's a redeeming lover. That even when we go to another lover, even when we search after another, even when we leave him for better, we think, He's never leaving us. It, it, Hosea was, oh, his story. I can't go there. I don't have enough time. Jonah 4.2, you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, relenting, who quickly relents from sending calamity. This is our God. Zephaniah, he is mighty to save and takes great delight in you, and he quiets you with his love. He quiets you. He quiets you. He quiets you. 
his love. Please, now, when we approach Romans, I need you to approach Romans understanding God. Get outside of your human imperfect understanding of love, and we have to get into God's understanding of love. And now Romans will make perfectly, perfect sense. But if you don't go there, Romans will sound very mean. So let's go there. Okay. Romans. That was all my introduction. You like that? Large portions of Christianity come out of these next 16 chapters. Martin Luther's Reformation, creating the Protestant church of which you sit in, came out of Romans. If Romans, if he had not read Romans, and I'll give you the whole situation of this on Wednesday, and it's a really, really fun thing, it is based on Romans. Romans is written by Paul. It's Actually, it's dictated and authored by Paul, written by a guy named Tertius. You're going to find in, in Romans 16, 22. So he had someone that was writing it down as he was speaking it. And it's to the church in Rome. Now, the church in Rome right now, when you think of the church in Rome, what do you think about? Huh? The Vatican. You think of Catholic Church. Catholic Church is not existent yet. It's not there. It hasn't come. In fact, the Catholic Church isn't going to be born for probably another 100 years. So right now, what the church in Rome looks like is a very, it looks like a small group, a pretty big small group. They're meeting in homes. And this small group is a mixed group of people. It's a mixed bag. And the thought is, is that the book of Romans was written about 10 years 15, somewhere in there, I'll do the, you know, I'll, I'll give you some more understanding on Wednesday, after um, Jesus' death and resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the church being born. So it's about 50, they're about 15 years into this thing, okay? And so in the church at Rome, the, Rome now, remember, is the most powerful city in the in, entire world. Power. Think of the Romans, Power, you know, the gladiators, the big buff dudes with the big sandals and the killing everybody and, and, you know, yeah. Rome, power. But the church there is a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. The Jews are coming out of thousands, a thousand years of strong religious hard rules and regulations that they're trying to do to please God. And they have to be holy to become close to God. That's the Jews. And sitting right next to the, the Jew would be a Gentile, a heathen, one that came out of, you know, um, like worshiping Zeus and Zen and all of the other gods and a hundred gods and, and they were really, um, they were very sexually immoral and they were very just immoral in general. And, and so you had this harsh God is rah, rah, religious spirit in one person and right next door is like, hey, you know, let's have a party. So the, the church was a mixed bag and, and Paul had to write this book to them to pull all of these different factions into one and to base them on truth. So let's, let's get into it, finally. Uh-oh. So uh, are your Bibles open? 
Yes? I got to get mine open for heaven's sake. I'm the preaching lady here. My Bible's not even open. So let's get started. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an an apostle. (laughs) This is impossible, isn't it? An apostle set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in his holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. That little piece of scripture right there was fought over for hundreds of years in the early church. Is, was Jesus man or was he God? Man, God. God, man, man, God. Only man, not God. Only God, not man. So this scripture, what you just read right there, was like tooth and nail fought to come to the conclusion that it's a mystery and that God is truly 100% God, and, or Jesus was 100% God, 100% man. So you know, we just write, read through it and don't even realize. Who is through the Spirit... Tell me if I have to do this over here, if I get behind over here. I think I am right now. Oh, there we go. Who was through the spirit of holiness declared by the power of Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. I want you to circle on your Bibles, obedience and faith. Obedience and faith. He within the first couple of Uh, verses here starts to outline some of the most incredible things. Obedience that comes from faith, and you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in the church of Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God the Father and from the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to skip down because he does a bunch of housekeeping. But I'm going to skip down to verse 16. And the 16, verse 16 is basically the entire book of Romans put in one verse. And if we can get verse 16, you're going to be absolutely, you're, you're going to be there. You don't have to come back again. Maybe not. Okay, so verse 16. And you have heard this verse. You have heard this quoted constantly. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes first to the Jew then to the Gentile remember I told you the church is Jew and Gentile they're sitting right next to each other so he's saying okay this is for both of you guys for in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed a righteousness that is by faith first to last just as it is written the righteous will live by faith now oh there's so much I want to say here but I can't. The righteous will live by faith. That verse right there encapsulates the entire thought process of Romans. So now let's skip down. Now remember I told you all about the love of God, right? Next verse. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God made it plain to them. For since since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Wait a minute, I thought you told me that God is love, and now he's got wrath coming at me. 
So what is God? Is God love or is he wrath? Is he wrath or God? I understand wrath. I get wrath. I, am, I get wrathful. Anybody in this world, you know, room ever get wrathful? Full of wrath yourself. Okay. Just like our love is imperfect and God's love is perfect, our wrath is imperfect. God's is perfect. And God's wrath that we're talking about right here is based and comes out of the most pure love on the planet. And that wrath is actually, if you, if you look at it, it's, it's the, if you, the true meaning of it is violent passion. Violent passion. And if we had time right now, and, and we will on Wednesday, I'll read the rest of that chapter. And if you read the rest of that chapter, we're all so familiar with it. It lists over 22 horrible, evil things that man is a part of. And as you read that next section there, you're going to find that you're all over inside of that section. And I say you, including me. When I read about people, you know, men being slanderers and gossipers and anger and insolent and evil and, and it just goes on and on and on, I am found in that passage. Because I am a very fallen and broken human being. And I no longer, because of the sin that, that uh, was committed when Adam disobeyed and he took that apple and, and he, he crossed over into disobedience, from that moment forward, I was seated with evil inside of me. And I can do some of the worst things. And I can do, and other people around me can, can be evil and sinful. And you know, a lot of times we come to church nowadays and you don't hear about the sinfulness of man. You just hear, oh, you know, don't feel bad about yourself because God loves you, da 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 But I am here to say that Romans can't start Romans until we understand the depth of our own troubles inside of our heart. For some of you, it's very quick and easy. Yes. I sin. I know I do. I know I do. I know. I have a propensity to lie. I have a propensity to, you know, I, I was, I can't even tell you how many times, you know, you, you have something, like, like the policeman, the lights go on and behind you and, and they pull you over. And my first thing, I have at least, what, five, sec, ten seconds before they get out, 30 seconds before they get out and they're at my window. I'm thinking of all the ways I can try to lie. Uh, uh, it's not my foot. I don't know. It's just I have this disease and the foot, it's not my fault. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we have to come to this conclusion that yes, we all sin. We do. Look at your neighbor and say, you sin. The wrath, every time there's evil, evil requires a response. Evil requires a response. And our response to people around us that do evil 
is a very, I don't know about you, but uh, like I had, I had some things stolen this week. I had my laptop and all sorts of things. A lot, my, my cool bag stolen, just stolen. And that was evil. And, and I started to feel a little wrathful. Like, I'll kill them. <laughs> Have they no idea? They didn't work hard to buy that. They don't care about that. They don't deserve, what are they doing with my, that is my stuff. Give it back to me. You will pay. Okay, I didn't think all these horrible things, but I'm just telling you where you could go, right? I had wrath because there was sin. I wanted to harm and hurt. I wanted to get vengeance. I wanted to get my stuff back and I wanted them to pay. I wanted, I wanted somehow to equal the balance because I've been harmed and they took my stuff. That's human wrath. But you know what God's wrath is? God's wrath is a violent passion against what sin does in your life. And it is so strong because it's driven by such a strong love for you that God would do anything to get that evil out of you. He wants it out of you so badly. Because what it's doing in your world, it's harming you. It's hurting you. And God violently, passionately loves you. And he violently and passionately hates what harms you. So when we read about God's wrath and we live life and we're doing things wrong and we're harming God and we're living outside of his way and we are sinning and we're doing things we shouldn't be doing and we look at God and now we're feeling this, this, this separation and this, what is this wrath? Is God wrath or is he love? Is he wrath? Is he love? He is both. He loves you so intensely and hates so intensely everything that harms you and brings you down. That. No, he, he's, you don't understand. He's got so much on the line on you that if we will, and I, I'm spilling the beans for the rest of Romans, if we'll turn to him, if we will just turn to him, God then can separate you from sin. And he can forgive that and he can demolish and destroy the sin part and the thing that is ruining you. And he can grab you, his beloved, his very precious one, and he can pull you up out of it and redeem you. But he can't do that until we make that transition. And that's what Romans is about. I'd like the musicians to come. I didn't get very far. This is not good. This is not good because I didn't get very far. But I want, I asked the Lord, what do you want 
people to understand about you. And he, he said he wants you to know how violently, passionately in love he is with you. And that that love drives him to violently and passionately hate that inside of you that's pulling you down, that's cheapening you, that's bringing you to lesser. He wants to separate you. Let's all stand. He wants to separate you from your folly. He wants to separate you from your folly. He wants to separate you from your folly. How many of you want to be separated from your folly? Raise your hand high. Throw it in the air. Oh, Jesus. Separate me from my folly. Separate me from my folly, oh, Father. Separate me from my folly. I cannot do anything more to make you love me. I can't act any better to make you adore me anymore in Jesus' name. And as we get deeper into Romans, we're going to really get into the depth of the folly that's sown in our hearts and how to break ourselves away. But the first step, the first step, people, is to declare in Jesus' name, Lord God, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the rest of Romans talks constantly about how if we will turn our hearts to him, that the blood of Jesus comes and washes us clean and separates the cross, separates you from your folly. And as you separate yourself from folly, I have watched it happen time and time again, where especially the men of this church, and I am so blessed, especially the men of this church, but women too, that when they finally separate themselves from their folly, they finally say no more of that, their countenance even changes. Because no longer are they feeling that wrath of God because it's so mixed inside of us. We've got, yeah. Father, in Jesus' name, the cross is there to separate you from your folly, to forgive you of your sins, and to draw you where God can reach in and grab you, grab his most prized possession, grab his most beloved and draw you to his heart draw you into his heart draw you so close to him Jesus name hallelujah Father God all heads bowed and eyes closed in Jesus name Lord God we have a room full of people here who love you and understand you even a little tiny bit better now and Father God we declare right now that in this moment, in this place, in this, in this moment, this, this environment of understanding, oh, Father God, that we would welcome you in, in Jesus' name. That we would welcome you in, that we would see how much you love us. And that the cross of Christ would separate me from my folly, in Jesus' name. Jesus' name, I want the prayer partners to come on up.